get out there, get down to my local park or local club, do with your friends. I think that's always more more fun. Throw yourself into it. Like tennis is is a game for life. I mean, you can play it till you're 80 years old if you look after yourself. Hi, my name is Rongan Chasji, GP, television presenter and author of the best-selling books, The Stress Solution and The Four Pillar Plan. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people, both within as well as outside the health space, to hopefully inspire you, as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier, because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. For today's show, I'm trying something a little bit different. Here in the UK, we are approaching the height of the British summer, a time when many people in the UK get gripped by tennis fever because the Wimbledon Tennis Championships are about to start. For those of you not living in the UK, this is typically a time when tens of thousands of people either dust off their rackets or pick up a racket for the first time as they feel inspired to get out there and play tennis. To celebrate this, I have sat down with one of the country's most successful tennis players of all time to talk about all things tennis. My guest today is Jamie Murray. Jamie has won a phenomenal six Grand Slam titles and is the older brother in the most well-known of British tennis families, the Murrays. In today's show, Jamie talks about what he does behind the scenes to keep fit and healthy and what we can all learn from this, from the equipment he carries with him to how he focuses his mind before a match. We talk about his childhood, how much tennis he and his younger brother, Andy Murray, played as children, and whether just focusing on one sport is beneficial for children. We also talk about the benefits of playing doubles, and Jamie talks about his YouTube channel in which he has created instructional videos to help people improve their doubles game. Andy believes that tennis is a game for everyone. I hope this conversation inspires you to pick up a tennis racket or simply to get more active. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a quick shout out to the sponsors of today's episode who are essential in order for me to put out weekly episodes like this one. Athletic Greens continue their long-term support of my podcast. Now, of course, I prefer that people get all of their nutrition from food, but I recognize that this is not always possible. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've ever come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. So if you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So Jamie, welcome to the Feel Better Live More podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, not at all. It's really, really good for you to be here. Um, you know, you are a uh, professional tennis player. You've won six Grand Slam tournaments, I believe, so far, yep. um, which makes you, what, 
possibly one of the most successful British tennis players of all time? You yeah, I t- guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't like think about that, but yeah. You're I too guess. modest, obviously, yeah. to, to talk <laughs> about that in your own sense, <laughs> but, but you've been very, very successful. And, you know, this is a podcast about um, trying to inspire people to get more out of their life. And I think we could probably learn a lot from you and your experiences in terms of what you do as a tennis player, in terms of what we can all learn um, in in terms of how we live our own lives. So I wonder if we might be able to explore some of that on on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you're a professional tennis player. Um, Obviously, sometimes we will see you play on television, but there must be a lot that goes on behind the scenes in terms of keeping fit and keeping healthy. Yeah, I think in... In tennis today, well, I'm, I'm sure forever is, you know, the people see you walk onto the court, they see you play the match, and then they see you walk off the court, and they don't have any insight into what goes on beforehand to get you to the point that you're ready to compete at ideally your highest level. And obviously afterwards, they don't see the the aftermath, the fallout. But I think like for for me, as I kind of gone through my career, like I understand more the importance of you know the preparation and the recovery and you know the preparation is obviously physical but a lot of that is is mental as well because you need to be in the right frame of mind to be able to get out there and compete you know with a kind of clear focused state of mind in order to make the right decisions that you need to on the court to be uh, to be successful so so how old are you now Jamie 33 33 and when did you start on the tour uh, I started on the tour in played my first full season in 2007. Has the way you approach your fitness and um, your recovery and and you know the mental preparation for a game changed from when you were fresh on the tour to now when you've got all these years of experience? Yeah, totally. Because when I first started, I mean, I was 20, 21. So for me, it was just like getting out there, practice as much as I can get out compete and not really think of sort of too much else but obviously as you go you learn a lot more and you know about other components that can kind of give you these sort of marginal gains you know also players are playing a lot longer than they used to and I think a lot of that's to do with the preparation the recovery you know whether that's getting the ice baths or the food that you're putting in your body afterwards um, has allowed these guys to play for a lot longer than previous generations. Yeah. Well, I I was watching your YouTube channel the other day and I saw the video of what you have in your tennis bag. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I'll tell you what I found super interesting about that because, you know, as as a sports fan and someone who will watch... There's a lot more in my bag now than there was when I started in 2007. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) But I'll tell you what I thought was that... um, a lot of things that are in your bag, let's say those resistant bands, for example, that you probably travel with. Yeah. I thought that's a cheap bit of kit that is keeping you fit and flexible and working on your mobility whilst you're on the roads. And I thought, well, that's a lot of the, the general public could probably benefit from something like that in their house or when they're going traveling or let's say a businessman's traveling for work and they just keep a couple of those things with them to do in the hotel room in the morning. They'd probably get some benefit from that as well. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, I my resistance band, so mainly I'm using that in my warm-up to kind of activate, like, muscles in my shoulders, uh, stuff for core. But, you know, you can use them for probably a full-body workout, just about. I have, like, a trigger ball that I travel with, or a couple of different trigger balls. So wherever I am, I can take that out of my bag, and, you know, I can sit on that if, like, my 
glutes are tight or my hips tight I can lie on the ball my back back of my shoulder things like that so for me that's like like it's a lifesaver sometimes because I obviously don't always have the opportunity to you know get a massage or other forms of recovery but there I have that in my in my bag at all times I can use it I have a foam roller as well so I can roll out my back quads calves things like that so, so these things you use to they're keep... not expensive either I mean it's yeah, like and, 10 15 quid and I, I mean the band's not even much. well that was you know, I think that was the thing that struck me. You're a, you know, you're a professional tennis player who travels the world playing and performing and competing. Yet a lot of the equipment I saw in your bag was very accessible to so many of us. And, and that really struck me because I think a lot of us might perceive top tennis stars to, for example, have all kinds of equipment and support staff that are not you know, they're not accessible to everyone else. And I'm sure at the elite level, particularly in singles, that, that possibly is the case. But I think you managed to show that actually it can be quite accessible for so many of us. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, obviously for me, it's my job to look after my body. So my knowledge of what I need with me in order to kind of give me the best chance of doing that is probably higher than your person on the street who's not really it's not really a focus for them, is it? You know, I think with a bit of learning and stuff and knowing what the right things for you to buy for your body, it's, it doesn't, I don't think it takes much. And like I said, it is, is cheap and everyone can go on Amazon and get the stuff delivered yeah, the next fun. day and, and start. But I guess you kind of, it's, a, it's probably the awareness first that, that people need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that the resistant one of the resistance bands that you that I saw in your video. I in the morning I'll often with a resistance band just do some overhead um, stretching because my shoulders can get quite tight. And I think I've always thought because I'm very tall, I can get a bit rounded in my upper back. So I always try and stretch that out in the morning. And I just keep that resistant band with me all the time, even when I'm traveling. And I find it super super useful. Um, you mentioned mental focus, Jamie, and. Of course, that's very important because at the elite level, um, I'm sure you're always playing against very good players. So what's going on up here is probably really important. Oh, do you have some set practices that you do to get you in the right frame of mind? Um, you know, if I'm warming up and stuff, I'm I'm still sort of like visualising things that I want to see happen in the match or moves that I want to make or strategies that we want to play or I'm thinking about like the volley that I'm going to, move across the court to take or things like that just kind of like get my mind ready for what I want to kind of try to implement on the court even things like I try not to you know I try maybe put my phone away maybe like half an hour before I, I go on the court so I'm not sort of distracted with you know messages or emails coming through that all of a sudden you know you get in your own little world and your mission and all of a sudden I'm getting called to court and I'm a bit kind of scatter brain and it's, 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 that's an interesting thought for 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 a tennis fan to to think that in the changing room just before you come out on court to warm up in front of the crowd let's say you people might just be you know sending emails or sending texts or just you know the sort of stuff that we all do in our everyday lives yeah but, tennis players are addicted to their phones just like the rest of the world yeah but that's a great take-home tip isn't it you know before something important you know maybe half an hour beforehand you switch it off and it allow your mind just to be fully present and focused in what you're doing and you mentioned visualization which 
A lot of sportsmen talk about this. I know Tiger Woods has spoken about this before, uh, I think a long time ago, about how and, and other golfers would visualize, you know, if they're going to play a course the next day, they'll visualize the night before or, or the morning of the, the rounds, what shots they're going to play, what shot shapes they're going to play on each hole. It's almost, and the neuroscience tells us that it, when you visualize it, it's actually happening in your brain. So when you actually go and perform it, it's a lot easier. Um, it's visualizing something you just found was helpful for you? Or were you taught it at a young age? I first used sports psychologists probably when I was like 14, 15. I was kind of having a bit of a rough time in my tennis. I went to see him and he's kind of been a lifelong friend since since that. And he kind of got me into it a bit and it was kind of part of our routines. And then, you know, I kind of just kept with it sort of as I became older, professional player and kind of moving through the nice. through the ranks. And yeah. No, no, super fascinating. Um, but it's, but even stuff like for me, you know, if I'm going to play a big match, like if I'm going to play on Centre Court at Wimbledon, for example, and there's going to be a lot of crowd there, or we're playing Davis Cup where it's mental and everyone's there to support you or the other team, and it's so noisy. Like that stuff for me is like important to kind of you know visualise the crowd, how they're going to be cheering and stuff like that. So when you do go there, you know you're not caught off guard and rabbit in the headlights, and you maybe you freeze and your body. Gets, stiffen up and you know you can't move your feet you can't get going and then it can spiral quite fast your mind going at a thousand miles an hour and you know you can't stop it to the point that you can just stay in the in the moment and stick to the process and play point by point with a kind of clear image of what you're trying to to yeah. achieve I mean it's interesting you we, we would naturally think that these things aren't applicable to us you know we're not professional tennis players but Everyone really is seeking peak performance in their own lives. Of course, yeah. For whatever they're seeking to do. So for you, you're seeking peak performance um, to perform on a tennis court. But someone working in an office is also seeking, I guess, in some way, peak performance to perform. Yeah, their task, yeah. Yeah. And so visualizing, you know, getting yourself in the right mental state to perform. I, I don't think should be exclusive to sportsmen. I think we, we maybe need to think about our own bodies as a sportsman would do in terms of how we look after it. Um, your family, Jamie, certainly from what I read, you know, you, uh, your brother Andy, uh, the singles player, obviously have been very, very successful. And I guess the natural question is, um, you know, how much of this is nature and how much of this is nurture? You know, to have two amazing players from the same family, um, is that something to do with your upbringing, do you think, and the, what you're exposed to? Or do you think there's some natural talent there or is it a bit of both? Yeah, well, I think both. I think we were very fortunate with our environment, which I think is incredibly important for, for anyone in any walk of life and what environment they're surrounded in. But we we had my mum, who is an amazing tennis coach especially for kids at a young age in terms of being able to develop the necessary skills in them to be equipped to be tennis players and then also we were brothers so there's obviously that natural rivalry probably more from Andy because he was younger brother so we always had that person right there in front of us to probably subconsciously push each other to try to be better than the than the other one and then the other thing was I mean we grew up in Scotland where there was I think at the time there was like two indoor tennis centres. In the whole of Scotland? Yeah, and we were fortunate to live like 10 minutes from one. So that was a big advantage for us because obviously, you know, more than half the year it's raining there and 
you can't play tennis outside. So we had the opportunity to play indoors a lot, whereas maybe other people in the country didn't have that uh, that opportunity. But we also had parents, grandparents as well, who made incredible sacrifices for us to give us the opportunities that we needed to further our, our tennis. I, I hear from, from what I read that... Um your mum or your parents didn't force you to specialise early in terms of just playing tennis. Yeah. It was very much a case of doing lots of things. And, and I think I read somewhere you, you, you'd like to wrestle with your brother, is that right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we definitely did all sorts of different sports and games and activities and we were never pushed to play tennis, um, which I think is really important because, especially for like burnout and yeah. if you don't, if you're forced to do something you don't enjoy, the chance of you reaching your potential in that sport or activity or whatever is, I would say, is very, very low. Uh, with regards to wrestling, I mean, it was huge at that. <laughs> yeah. when, and the time when we were when we were growing up and we were we were right into it, so we would have like, you know, they always say don't try this at home, but you know, we would be <laughs> in our bedroom and stuff having fake matches, and we had the wrestling belts that we create ourselves and the cardboard and everything like that and yeah we'd have a good go at it so it wasn't all about tennis no no absolutely not i mean i I get asked often by parents who have young kids and they're you know when you were my son or daughter's age how much tennis were you playing were you playing every day were you playing two hours three hours a day i was like you know we maybe played like three or four days a week and we maybe played for an hour or an hour and a half that time and everyone's like, really? Why? Why?" I was like, well, that's just what we wanted to do. You know, our, our parents always said, like, if if you want to play tennis, we'll go play tennis. If you don't want to, then we won't. There's no no big deal. I think for them, it was just they wanted us to be happy and enjoy our, our childhood, which we did. It, that's so fascinating because ha, do you think things have changed um, in culture since you were, were, were kids? And, and one, a really good mate of mine from Scotland, he... His son is a very good tennis player in Scotland and he, you know, he's, you know, they're driving to tournaments, a lot of weekends, a lot of training. And I think he said to me a little while ago, he said, it's really interesting. Now there seems to be a real pressure on kids to specialise early and, you know, go on camps all the time and actually not do anything else. And he's trying to fight against that a little bit with his own son. Um, Is that something you're seeing? Because I know you guys, you and your family are quite keen to put back into tennis and actually help raise awareness and the profile of the game and getting more people active basically yeah I mean I can't speak for other sports but I definitely feel like that's the case in in tennis where parents are kind of putting their all their eggs in this one basket and okay he's quite good at tennis so now we're gonna put him with the coach and he's gonna get lessons every day and it's just going to be tennis, tennis, tennis for him because that's what he needs to do. He needs to do his 10,000 hours or or whatever to be a great tennis player. But actually, I think it's of detriment to the child's development. I don't think it's particularly healthy for them because, like I said, if they're forced into doing it and, you know, they're young kids, like they, why are they going to want to do something 20 hours a week if they're not, if they're not liking it? And they're missing out on loads of other stuff in their sort of personal development, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really inspiring to hear this, actually, that you guys weren't, you know, just tennis, tennis the whole time. It sounds like you had quite a, a normal childhood yeah, doing yeah. lots of different things. Yeah. And, um, you know, w- at what age did you, do you think you knew you wanted to be a professional tennis player? 
Um, well, it's. I mean, it's weird because when I was 10 and 11, 12, like I was one of the best in the world in my age. So I guess like most kids, if you're good at something, yeah. you're motivated to keep doing it. So probably from a young age, that was in your. That was in your. Yeah, um, I was thinking, you were thinking. Yeah, I can be a. You know, I can be a professional tennis player, and that's what I want to do. I want to be a tennis player, but then, you know, for me, obviously, I ended up being a player, but it wasn't always like on a upward curve for me because then, probably by the time I was fourteen, fifteen, a lot of those kids who I was better than they'd overtaken me, and probably when I finished juniors when I was eighteen, I was probably about. I think my my junior world ranking was like 40 45 which it might sound good but actually in the grand scheme of being a world-class tennis player is that's just that's very average so it wasn't like you know I was on that path at that stage thinking you know I can make a career from from tennis uh but I was able to do that in in doubles and it gave me the gave me the opportunity to do that because my skill set I think was more suited for that part of the game well that's quite fascinating to me the the whole singles versus doubles piece because i'm intrigued to know when did you move to doubles and what were those skill sets what were those you know skills that you had that you feel are more suited to doubles than singles and i guess i'd like to extend that into thinking about as a society you know clear clearly physical inactivity is a big issue and, you know, at this time of year, you know, Britain, particularly when Wimbledon is on, has a real love affair with tennis. And yeah. tennis could be a great way of getting more people active. The thing about doubles that appeals to me is it's quite social. You know, you're doing it with other people. You're building up relationships. Uh, and potentially with people who used to play as kids and maybe don't feel fit enough in, let's say, middle age to cover the whole court is doubles quite a good option for them to get back into the game so quite a lot of questions there basically yeah, yeah. but starting off with you moving from singles to doubles uh, yeah okay so f- I started to play or like to really focus on doubles in summer of 2006 I think because I was I mean I was playing singles and doubles but I was doing a lot better in my doubles and I was able to start playing a lot bigger tournaments and then so it was an easy decision for me to focus more on my doubles because for me I just wanted to play the biggest tournaments I could against the best players in the world and doubles was going to offer me what I thought was going to offer me the opportunity to do that so that's why I tried to do that I think the you know doubles is like it's a huge part of tennis especially amateur tennis yeah because for those reasons like you said you know it's it's social you can go and you can play with your with your friends you don't have to cover the full court and yeah, it's just a fun way of being involved in the in the sport. And I think that there should definitely be more sort of initiatives or a bigger play to get more people involved in tennis in that doubles environment. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think doubles is, um, you know, it, I think doubles is really important. I think it's, um, I, I, I recently, because my kids are currently eight and six and um, you know, we've we've started. You know, the local park has got two free tennis courts. So we sometimes, when we do the park run at the weekend afterwards, we'll hit the ball around a bit. And we literally joined a tennis club a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the the club that I played at as a kid, actually, we 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 joined it. And you know, it's pretty cool that that you know people just rock up and you can just join in any doubles game. And if they're they're missing someone, you can join in. It's very very social. Yeah. Um, 
So I had been thinking a lot is a lot of the focus on tennis in terms of professional tennis is on singles. Yeah. You know, I know singles players get paid a lot more than doubles players. Um, and obviously your brother is a singles player, world famous singles player. You are doing it in doubles, but there seems to be a lot more column inches devoted to Andy, let's say, than what you're doing. And is that, that's at the elite level, but is that also coming down to the amateur level when people are playing at their local clubs, do you think? Or, or and should we be putting more focus on doubles? Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, you know, you go you go to your local club. Everyone's playing doubles. Certainly in this country, I think in in the states as well, and maybe some of the other the other Grand Slam nations. Yeah, people are playing doubles for the reasons that we that we just talked about. But I also think for for kids as well, it's so important because tennis is such a it is a lonely sport. Singles, yeah. very lonely sport, and the journey is so is so long. And there's a there's a big dropout rate. And I think that to kind of keep kids in the game where maybe they would drop out and go play football for example a, a team sport doubles can kind of cover that because you know the kids can keep playing with their friends there's that social aspect of it as well whether that's you know they're playing doubles or there's just more sort of team events that they can be a part of I think it's a great way for the to keep the the kids in the game where otherwise they might you know lose interest and go off and, and do something else and you're setting up a YouTube channel, aren't you? Well, you've, I've seen a few of the videos, but you're, I think from what I understand, you're going to put a huge focus on doubles in that channel. Yeah, so the YouTube channel will have a lot of, a lot of instructional videos for, I, I guess, sort of all ages and, and levels. I think there'll be a lot of stuff about you know, what it takes to train to be a doubles player, which I don't think many people will, will know about. And... I think um, with this sort of doubles coaching, a lot of the stuff in terms of like the positioning on the court, the movement on the court, where you need to be, that's not necessarily hitting tennis balls. So people can actually improve their level of doubles a lot without necessarily having to get better at hitting a tennis ball. That's fascinating. Yeah. So they can get better at doubles without actually improving the way that they're stroking the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just by knowing where they should be on the court, you know, for even just starting the point, a lot of people are in the wrong positions. And then in terms of things like your movement after your friend's served and you're at the net, where you should move to depending on where he's served. If you're serving to his forehand or her backhand, you need to move to a certain spot on the court. So I, I, even all that stuff, you, you, you improve your game through that. And it's not actually necessarily having to learn how to hit a better volley. But I will try to cover that as well. <laughs> no, that's that's fascinating because, you know, because of channels like YouTube, you know, so many of us are seeking to improve certain aspects of our hobbies or our life. You know, we're looking for instructional videos, you know, and YouTube's a great medium to provide that. And I guess having the ability to learn from someone like yourself with all the experience that you've got, six Grand Slam titles. I mean, that's it's pretty awesome for people to learn, um, you know, how they can improve their doubles positioning. And I, I've got quite a few people I know who play doubles who'd probably be super interested to actually go, oh, you know, I've not really thought about my position on courts. I'm just trying to hit a better forehand or a better forehand yeah. volley. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I hope so. I, th I think it'll be, I think, I, I, I believe anyway that it'll be beneficial for a lot of a lot of people a lot of uh, a lot of amateur players as well and i think it'll be cool to for people to see 
how I train to be a world-class doubles player, which I think is pretty unique insight because no one else is doing that and no one really knows what it what it takes, I, I, I don't think. so. No, I agree. Um, fitness, obviously, is a big part of being a tennis player, but so is nutrition. Is that something that you've changed over your last 10 years? Well, 10 plus, how many years on tour now? 12? Yeah, yeah 12, 13, yeah. 12, 13 years, yeah. Have you, you know, is it, you know, when you're younger, you can get away with more things, you can get away with less recovery, you can, you know, eat a less good diet, let's say, and still perform? And as you get older, do you need to take more care? Is that something you've noticed? Yeah, absolutely. I think for... And I appreciate you're only in your early 30s. Yeah, but, no, but it's, it's true, isn't it? It's, for sportsmen, it's kind of the latter part of your career. But yeah, I've definitely learned a whole lot more about that side of it and you know, what you're putting in your body is your fuel, right? So, you know, I want to put in the best possible stuff into my body because it's going to, again, enhance my performance, hopefully legally, obviously, <laughs> and um, hopefully get those those marginal gains that maybe other people are getting. Is that hard on the road when you're traveling in different places and hotels? Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because yeah you're not always in control of what you're what you're able to eat because you're a lot of times at the tournament especially during the day where you're spending most of your time you're kind of at the mercy of what they're what they're providing um and certainly since I started on the tour compared to now it's it is a whole lot better than nowadays and also I think like for a tournament you know if you've got the best players in the world turning up to play your event you want them to be putting out the best product so yeah you can't be serving Djokovic and Federer and Andy, these guys, you know, burger and chips yeah, for, exactly. for lunch before they go to play to play a match. That's not that's not helping anyone. So, I mean, me personally for my for my nutrition, I I'm not like counting calories or worrying too much about what I'm eating, but I'm not eating rubbish. Yeah, um, certainly not before I play, and I'm also really aware, like as soon as I finish playing. I need to be getting the right stuff in my system ASAP. Like I'll always try to eat something, you know, 20 to 30 minutes with it coming off the court. You know, I won't leave it for an hour or, or two hours. Before so when your muscles it. are hungry for that, you know, replen- replenishing exactly. glycogen, and yeah, you, exactly, you really yeah. want to get it in then. Yeah. What about hydration? Have you noticed, is that something you have to spend much time focusing on? Yeah, definitely. That I'm, I'm kind of like more aware of that because I've, feel like if if I don't drink enough water, I'm aware that I haven't, I start to get like tense and... So you can feel <laughs> it? Yeah, I'm just in my my mind, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I just get start to get a bit antsy and, you know, I don't have patience for anyone and it's like, I need to get a bottle of water, <laughs> which is not always difficult at tournaments because they're, they're, giving you, they're yeah. stockpiling you for, for that. But uh, yeah, I am aware of that because you know, even just a slight drop in, you know, hydration is like a huge drop off in performance. in performance. Yeah. So it's, it's incredibly important. And when I'm on court for matches, you know, often we're traveling, following the sun. So we're playing in, you know, heat, humidity, things like that. So I have like my electrolyte drinks, carb drinks, things like that, that I can, you know, sip on during the match to kind of maintain energy. Have you got foods that you travel with to make sure you've got some of your favourites, you know, to keep you healthy and, and performing? Yeah, I mean, I have these um, 
this is not an advertisement because you don't sponsor me or anything. But I this year I, when I was in the states, I bought a load of Cliff bars. Okay. Uh, these nut butter filled bars, which I really liked. Um, and there's a lot of bars out there that I think are pretty rubbish. They just don't taste good, or they're really like hard to to eat. But these ones I really like, so I bought a load of them to bring back. And then I take a few of the, of them when I go to go to the tournaments. Um, is there anything you do? I bought a Nutribullet as Did well. You? Did you take that it. with you? Yeah, yeah. So wow. I can. You know, so I can make like my drinks, smoothies, and stuff. Because like after matches, you know, try to get in like some like glutamine, some creatine, and stuff. Because that helps again for the recovery, for inflammation, muscle regeneration. So it just helped me to kind of have that and do it through that. It's just easier. So you take that with you, and you'll go to what local supermarket? Yeah, yeah. I told you, my bag's getting a lot, a lot it's bigger. Quite a heavy bag like, yeah. now. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah. faster. It, it, it generally is. And now I travel with two, two full suitcases whereas I just used to have one but now with all these extra recovery products and everything yeah blenders now and you've got to travel with that yeah. exactly I need the extra bag yeah fascinating what about sleep um you know, we, we, we read stories that someone like Federer, for example, sleeps nine plus hours a night. I don't know if that's true or not. I think I've read that somewhere. Okay. So um you know sleep is clearly a really important part of health. It's an important part of recovery. Is that something you need to stay focused on when you're away when you're on the road or is it tempting even for a tennis player to be in their hotel room at night and actually spend too long on netflix or on facebook or on instagram you know do you, I, I presume you guys have the same t- temptations as everyone else yeah absolutely i mean yeah i, I feel I, I always aim to try to get like nine hours of sleep whether i need that much or i just you know, for me mentally, just to know that I've got nine hours in the bank helps me. That's what I aim for. But again, like you said, there's so many distractions, you know, and you're watching your Netflix series and then one f- finishes and you're like, oh, just one more episode. And that's another 45 minutes down the drain that you could have been sleeping or you get on Instagram and you start watching videos and swipe, 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 swipe. And, and that's half an hour gone. And you're like, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> I haven't actually achieved anything from watching these videos or that. I'm not getting any gain from it but you just it's like tunnel vision isn't it and you just get into that world and you do it yeah you just waste time and then you're like shit I gotta be up at 8 in the morning it's now midnight I could have been to bed at 11 when actually I was tired anyway yeah but I just get distracted by by this and so it's a constant battle like with everyone to try and switch off and actually get that sleep. Yeah, um, I, I I think so, yeah. But do, do you struggle with sleep when you're on no. the road? You're, you're quite good with that. Yeah, because I think like we're, I think like tennis players are really adaptable as well because we, every week we're in a new environment, new surroundings, new hotel, new bed. We never know when we're going to play either unless that, we're playing like, the first match. It sounds match. really stressful, this. <laughs> yeah, it can be, but you just you just get used to it that's just that's just the job and I've been doing it like so long I mean I've been playing professionally since I was like 19 but obviously I've been playing tennis since you know traveling to play tennis since I was like 10 years old so you just you just get you just get used to it but um you know I travel with a pillow my own pillow now oh that's interesting yeah so I know every because hence the second suitcase exactly (laughs) yeah so you know that helps me because you know if you get a dodgy pillow or something like and that throws off your 
you know, your neck, you yeah. can't move your neck and then that's throwing, you know, your, your hip, hip off. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah, you're fighting an uphill battle. Right? Is this more and more common? Are you, are you seeing more players traveling with pillows, traveling with their own gear? Um, you know, is the whole industry moving? No, sorry, not industry, the whole profession. Um, I, I don't know about the pillow, but I definitely see guys more and more often with, you know, the recovery stuff. So like we we're talking earlier, like, foam rollers, your trigger balls, your bands. Some people, like now, <laughs> I had another product which I travel with, was called Normatec. It's like a recovery compression thing for your legs. So in the evening, I pop them on at night for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and use that to try to kind of increase like blood flow and everything in my in my legs. Because obviously next day I got to play again if I haven't lost. So it's just, yeah, it's just another way to kind of optimize uh, performance. But I think just the sport as a whole, everyone's a lot more aware of what all this stuff can do for you. And obviously there's more and more money getting pumped into the game. There's more money for the guys to to play for. So if that can help you 1%, 2%, that might be worth 100 grand for you to win your match tomorrow. Guys are going to do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Really? In terms of raising the profile of the game, which I know you're pretty passionate about doing, um, well, a couple of things, really. The, the first thing is for me, I studied in Scotland. I went to med school there and worked there for two years afterwards in Edinburgh. And although I didn't play golf at the time, I, I now realise that actually there's a big difference between Scotland and England in the sense that golf is very accessible to a lot of people in Scotland in a way that I don't think it is in England. It seems to be a lot more um, middle class, maybe elitist in England, certainly where I live and, and you know, the way I view it. Yeah. Um, and I've swung to other people. I've got a good mate in Scotland who, who plays rugby and says, yeah, absolutely. And he grew up in England and said it's so much more accessible in Scotland. Are there similarities with tennis, do you think? Um, or is well, I don't think tennis is particularly accessible in in Scotland. Probably through the UK, really, it's probably still seen as an elitist sport, as an expensive sport as well. Would you uh, like to change that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, especially in Scotland, because I think like what Andy's obviously done in his career, you know, he's created so much interest in in tennis and it's kind of like for me it's a shame that there could be some kid watching him play in the east end of Glasgow and and he's a hero to him and he wants to go out and play tennis and try tennis and be the next Andy Murray but he can't because he's got no course <laughs> to go to go try it on and the nearest courts are five miles away or something yeah. So for me, that's that's really sad. And that's what I think, well, certainly what my mum's been doing with all her initiatives and, you know, getting in a van and travelling around Scotland to rural areas, taking it to underprivileged areas as well, underprivileged kids and, and trying to introduce them to the to the sport and yeah, I guess bring it to the to the masses. But they need the you need the facilities in order to let them to, to give them the best chance to to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It is a shame, but hopefully that's changing. You know, as I say, I've recently, literally, actually, what are we now? We are Thursday. On Sunday morning, we paid the membership to our local club and okay. joined for the years of family. And that's the first time I've been a member since 
probably I was 17, 18, about like 20, 20 plus years ago. Uh, and I'm really excited now about having, it's just that because we paid the membership as well, I sort of feel, okay, well, we're going to go most weekends. We're going to play yeah. it's something to go and do now as a family together with my kids. And I'm, I'm really excited. So I'm hoping that our conversation might inspire some of the listeners to get their rackets out or play with their kids or, you know, for some of the older listeners who haven't, maybe haven't played since they've been a kid, you know, to, to get their rackets out and start yeah. playing again. Um, have you got any, for people listening to this who might be inspired by your journey, by Andy's journey, by just tennis in general, be getting caught up in uh, the fever of Wimbledon? Um, any tips for them if they want to get involved with tennis or, or, you know, anything you can share with them to get them going? I guess I would just get out there, get down to my local park or local club, do with your friends. I think that's always more more fun. Throw yourself into it. Like tennis is is a game for life. I mean, you can play it till you're 80 years old if you look after yourself. Um, and I think most people, I think, that played tennis, you know, they did it because family members did. And they taught their kids and then you teach your kids and, and that's how it falls on. I think it also helps like if you're going down to your park or club that there's stuff going on there's an energy there's an atmosphere and it's not something that's this is nothing happening it's a bit of a ghost town that's not really inspiring for people to to play I think that's uh that's something that the the sport needs to look at as well but yeah, just get out there and enjoy it see if you like it and if you do then keep playing sport's supposed to be fun right yeah, exactly. I think that's some great advice, Jamie. And um, look, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy training schedule to come and talk today. I that's think right. hope people enjoy our conversation. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Good luck uh, for the rest of your career. Thank you very much. Cheers. That concludes this week's episode of the Feel Better, Live More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know it was a little bit different from my normal conversations, but I hope you got something out of it nonetheless. As always, do try and have a think about something specific that you can take from this episode to apply in your own life immediately. Are you someone who used to play tennis and has been inspired to dust off your racket? Or perhaps this episode has simply inspired you to go out to your local park and get more activity into your daily life. Whatever it is, please do let Jamie and I know what you thought of our conversation on social media. Jamie is present on Twitter and Instagram, so please do tag him as well as myself. And if you can remember, please do use the hashtag FBLM so that I can easily find your comments. Everything that Jamie and I spoke about today will be available to see on the show notes page of this episode, drchastity.com forward slash Jamie Murray. On this page, there will be links to Jamie's brand new YouTube channel, his website, and other interesting articles in the media about him. Getting more activity into your daily lives is something that is essential for short-term and long-term health, and it's something that I have written about in both of my first two books. In the first book, The Four Pillar Plan, I outline simple strategies that you can use to get more activity into your daily life. I also share which types of movements are good for particular conditions and complaints like brain health to help reduce how much your body is aging or to specifically fight something like type 2 diabetes. You can get a copy of The Four Pillar Plan in paperback, audiobook or in ebook. 
quick notes if you live in America or Canada, that book is available with the title How to Make Disease Disappear. In my latest book, The Stress Solution, I explain how our stress response in many ways primes our bodies for physical activity. Yet, if your email inbox is the thing stressing you out and you sit there all day looking at it, you are not burning off that stress energy that is built up and it will be accumulating in your body. The Stress Solution provides lots of simple and accessible tips to help you better manage your stress so that you can feel happier and calmer. And if you are a regular listener to my podcast, you will know that up to 90% of all problems that come and see me as a GP are in some way related to stress. You can pick up a copy of The Stress Solution in all the usual places as a paperback, as an ebook, or as an audiobook, which I am narrating. If you enjoy my weekly shows, please do support them. The best way that you can do this is by leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. You can also help me spread the word by taking a screenshot right now and sharing it with your friends and family on your social media channels. Alternatively, you can just simply tell your friends and family about the show. I really do appreciate your support. A big thank you to Vedata Chastity for producing this week's podcast and to Ali Ferguson and Liam Saunders for the theme tune. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure that you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest conversation. Remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time. <laughs>